Welcome to Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Greg Bluestein. Stacey Abrams, Senator Warnock, and other high-profile Democrats are giving Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens a headache as he works to shore up support for the police training center. I don't want to have any good Democrat on the wrong side of this issue or us at odds and all those things that people would like us to do. I'm the guy that says I draw circles. I don't draw lines. I'm going to bring people together. And I'm Tia Mitchell. Speaker Kevin McCarthy is struggling to bring together the votes to fund the government and avoid a shutdown. He's facing really stiff resistance from far right members, and it doesn't bode well for getting the government funding, but it also doesn't bode well for him. I'm Patricia Murphy. President Joe Biden's 2020 voters in Georgia say they're still with the president, despite recent headlines suggesting they're not. And I'm Bill Nygut. Volodymyr Zelensky makes an impassioned plea for more support from allies at the U.N. But some Georgia Republicans are being called out by a conservative group for their failure to give wholehearted support to the Ukrainian effort. Remember, you can follow Politically Georgia on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you find your podcast. And guys, I can tell you how much fun it was to be all together in the same room just a couple days ago over at a WABE event as we get ready for October 30th, the first day where we will be hosting a new 10 a.m. radio show on WABE. Of course, this podcast will still remain, but it's about to be an hour a day starting October 30th. I miss you mentioned being all in a room together. You guys were in a room with Mayor Dickens, and I know we're going to talk more about what we learned from him. I wish I was in the room with you guys. I was listening to the podcast and listening to what he has to say. And um, I know the mayor is really trying to put a positive spin on things, but it's becoming a big political headache for him. Tia, we walked out of that room, um, had this lengthy conversation with the mayor. He, you know, we're going to get to it. He said he really looks forward to Democrats being on board. Um, And into our inboxes comes a letter from Senator Raphael Warnock that indicates that might not be the case. Yeah. Yeah, You know, one of the takeaways I had from that conversation with the mayor is he really thinks and talks like an engineer. He's so deep into process uh, that sometimes the messages that uh, he needs to get out get lost as he talks on uh, uh, really too long in answering some of our questions. And, And I was really struck by that in our conversation. And if you missed that interview, it's on your podcast feed, a special edition of the Politically Georgia podcast that posted just a few days ago. So check it out. When we get back, we'll dive deeper into the conversation and the aftermath. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. 
In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So after weeks of relative silence, Mayor Andre Dickens is facing some stiff pushback from key Georgia Democrats. First, as we were, or shortly after we concluded our interview with the mayor, Senator Raphael Warnock sent a letter to Mayor Dickens demanding more clarity over how he's handling the tens of thousands of petitions seeking a referendum on what critics call Cop City. Then Stacey Abrams came out unequivocally in support of putting that question of support for the complex on the ballot. Dickens, we should add, told us that he consulted with both of them, along with Senator John Ossoff, to devise his strategy. He didn't quite say he was an island by himself when it comes to this issue, but he came quite close. Listen to what he had to say. Now, this might be a little tough to, to swallow, but intimidation is real. So when you say you disagree with these folks... You know what these people are capable of and what they have tried to do and what they have insinuated they will do. I mean, after that 11-4 vote, they were very scared city council members. We had to protect them because there was hate mail and threats against their lives. Tia, there's no doubt that this has really uh, carved a new dividing line among Democrats, not just the question of the referendum, but of course the broader question about whether to support this public safety complex. Only a handful of, of Democratic elected officials have come out against this. There's a state lawmaker, Rua Rahman, there's four city council members who have voted against it, but we're definitely seeing this deeper divide, especially among the activist community. And I also think what's delicate here is that there is an extremist component to some of the protests, to some of the opposition, but there are plenty, dozens, if not hundreds of people who have said they oppose the construction of the Public Safety Training Center, who have not uh, participated in the types of threats and violence that Mayor Dickens mentioned. There are now what we uh, believe is tens of thousands of people who have signed a petition to put it on the ballot. And those people, by and large, have not participated in the types of intimidation and threats that the mayor mentioned. And so where I think some of the frustration that has been um, directed at the mayor and others is that in focusing on the problematic, the and violent and criminal elements of some of the protests, they're not acknowledging the parts of the opposition that are well within the First Amendment, well within the civic process that is American democracy. And those people are getting frustrated because they say, we keep saying we don't, and I'm not saying the city has to agree with them, but th these people don't feel like the city is acknowledging or hearing them. And Bill, they're getting frustrated, but they're also, some of them 
are saying it's a betrayal of their support for Democratic candidates. The past few election cycles, their work knocking on doors, phone banking, helping elect Senators Warnock and Ossoff, helping Joe Biden get across the finish line in Georgia in 2020. They're saying that there will be payback in future elections if their voices aren't heard in this one. Yeah, and they're they're also concerned about what they see as a muddled explanation of what um, this uh, effort to get a referendum on the ballot uh, is, uh, what the rules really are. Because while the referendum moved forward, uh, at the same time, there were city officials saying, well, a referendum in this case isn't uh, legal, and uh, therefore we really don't have to pay attention to it. And so and, and then... When the uh, clerk, uh, the city clerk gets the referendum uh, uh, signatures, uh, they say we're not going to count them at this point because they're held up in there's a court battle going on right now. Uh, So we're holding off on on this. So it feels as if there's some real confusion in the way the city has handled this. And that's adding a fuel to the fire, I think. Yeah. And I want to go back. We played the clip at the very top of the show about the mayor's um, metaphor about he doesn't want to draw lines, which I think he's saying dividing lines. He wants to draw a circle and bring people in. But when I hear that metaphor, I think, but guess what? Sometimes the quickest route from point A to point B is a straight line. (laughs) And sometimes the, the detours in the curves Um, are where you create confusion or you try to circumvent. So even in that metaphor, to Bill's point, point A to point B, straight line, there are plenty of people saying there's nothing stopping the city from processing these petitions. Even, And I understand that there could be a court ruling at some point that completely invalidates this process. Mayor Dickens is right about that. But nothing is precluding the city from moving forward now because there also could be a ruling saying the process is allowed to move forward. And 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 so the city has made a choice to just stand still. But that's a choice. That's not a mandate. And I think, again, that's another way that the city has an answer that doesn't always make sense to the folks who say other choices could be made. Well, I think we're so far down in the weeds and this has gotten so um, kind of uh, captured by, um, to your point, Tia, not just the opposition that were those very visible, violent protests, but also by real local opposition and people saying, well, let's let's pump the brakes on this. We want to know more about it. And even people who know more about it and feel like they don't need to know another thing about it just don't want it. And um, I think Dickens would agree that they've been behind the curve on communicating why um, police officers want this, why fire officials want this. Um, We hear the anecdotes about them training in um, uh, rented classrooms up on the perimeter, that they have to go south of the city to have anywhere to train, that Andre Dickens wants these officers to be trained over and over. And that's why they want this facility. That's not 
coming through. Um, even if it is coming through, there are people who just don't want it. Um, I think that the fact that Warnock came out with his letter, very long letter, and if people have not had a chance to see it, I think they should take a look at it. Um, a long letter asking Dickens to go through his questions one, two, three, four, and then subsections of question number three, A, B, C, D, answer all of these questions in the spirit of transparency. And then Warnock said, as the, as the senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, I ask you to be transparent and to consider democracy. I mean, at that point, this message about the Police Safety Training Center has been completely demolished. And when you're talking about democracy, um, uh, instead of Dickens' attempts to talk about public safety, um, and you've got Stacey Abrams on the other side, you've got Fairfight on the other side, um, it really feels like this has been a, a week where the momentum has turned on this. We don't know what's going to happen with it, but just those events on Friday afternoon after we saw the mayor really felt like this is a situation that has gotten out of his control, and now we're going to have to see where it goes from here. Yeah, and all signs seem to point to a, a costly referendum, you know, something that would take a lot of energy or a lot of resources. We know that the city council probably can't short circuit that process. Mayor Dickens said he wouldn't support that anyway. And there's legal questions about whether or not city council can put this on the ballot without the General Assembly signing off on it. Uh, but Bill, I mean, when we asked the mayor about that possibility, he almost seemed resigned toward toward a, at least a potential path towards a referendum that would cost millions of dollars that he said would better be spent on, on other city initiatives. But as we heard from, you know, we've been hearing from activists, from voters, from residents, the folks who have signed, uh, you know, we don't know how many of those petitions are valid, but we can assume at least a significant portion are who do want that referendum, who do want that chance to, to speak out on the ballot. Yeah, um, and and I want to go back to a point that I think Patricia made, which was this seems to be getting out of out of control for the mayor. Um, the messaging has not worked in terms of uh, raising more support, and I was really struck by an article that um, Rashida Tlaib and Cory Bush, two Democratic members of the U.S. House, wrote for the Nation last week. Um, they use such extreme language in the way they talked about what they call cop city. Um, let me read you just a little of what they wrote. Um, the $90 million, 85-acre militarized police base is what they called um, the police training center. They say it is turned into one of the most extreme cases of government overreach, oppression, and violence in recent years. City and state officials are covering up a police killing of a protester and waging a chilling assault on the right to protest that risk, settling, setting a dangerous uh, press on the right to protest that risks setting a dangerous precedent. That's really over the top language, and it isn't even accurate in in certainly in in some ways. I don't think there's that cover up going on right now, to the best of our knowledge, of the killing of the young uh, uh, protester uh, Tortutiga. But uh, it, when you start getting that kind of um, angry reaction from members of Congress, Patricia, it strikes me that you really are losing control of the argument. 
Well, and it's also being made into essentially a vacuum of messaging from the people who do support um, this training center. Um, Dickens spoke on our interview multiple times about um, neighborhoods he goes into where people are saying, why are, why are people giving me such a hard time about this? Um, he talked about uh, people who come to him and say, we do support this. Those voices are not being presented. It really does feel like it's just Dickens on his own making the case for this. Um, uh, business leaders are have not come forward, City of Atlanta business leaders. The only people who have come forward recently are Governor Brian Kemp and other Republicans. And in a way that damages the argument for Dickens. So it really does feel like he the reinforcements and the cavalry need to come forward on this, but not from Brian Kemp. <laughs> the cavalry needs to be manned by somebody else, preferably one of Dickens' fellow Democrats, but we know where they stand now. Or Attorney General Chris Carr, who's also been rallying yes. to the support. It seems like Republicans are very eager to exploit the Democratic divide. And it also gives them something else, Tia, to talk about other than Donald Trump and the indictment in Fulton County. Right. And that's what I was going to say. It's like there are so many things at play in this whole debate and controversy about the Public Safety Training Center. And I think that the Republicans, quite frankly, are using this issue as a wedge to uh, further for example, there was a choice to bring the RICO charges right around the time of Trump and his co-defenders um, being in court for those RICO charges. Like they literally could have said they could have waited uh, two weeks or two months. But I think the timing is not um, by happenstance. Also, the killing of the protester. That is all in the it's all intertwined and you can't ignore how the fact that there is no body camera footage and there are many recent examples of police saying one thing and then the camera footage telling a completely different story and the lack of confidence in the narrative provided by police often when there is um, a killing of a civilian. We can't ignore that that's part of the controversy. Yes, we're talking about a, a construction project, but we're talking about also um, police killings. And again, I'm not saying, Bill, you're right. The rhetoric from the Congresswomen was pretty fiery. And they made some some statements that aren't necessarily founded, but it's rooted in, again, now this other dynamic is at play. And quite frankly, there are still questions because there is no body cam footage about what happened that day. And it's all a mess, quite frankly. And that's why Warnock has never said, I don't support the facility, but Warnock has said, this process is starting to raise questions. Yeah, a quick note, the, the, the GBI has released two hours of footage showing law enforcement officers in that area, but it does not show the moment 
that Tortuguita, hope I'm pronouncing his name right, uh, was shot by Georgia State troopers. Uh, instead, it's the footage from uh, officers in that general area. So you're, you're right, we're still wa waiting for that exact footage, which will shed some light. We've seen autopsy reports, we've seen forensic analysis, but the, there are still many, many questions about what led uh, to that shooting death. Bill? Well, I just want to know what we, what we all think the next step is going to be. Are these signatures going to end up being verified and counted? And if, in fact, it's true that the people who organized that effort have gathered about twice as many signatures as they need to get a referendum on the ballot, now it would be uh, next March, will it really go forward? Um, are the courts going to intervene? I'm, I'm curious what you all think about whether or not we are going to see a referendum on this issue. We know, first of all, the city council passed a unanimous resolution to post publicly some of the mm -hmm. details of these petitions. So the public will be able to see what the media has already requested. We've already done an open records request for all those petitions as well that we are, we are reasonably confident will be released to us. So the public will be able to see that as well on the city website. That's sort of in, in an initial step. But, you know, from folks I talked to, Bill, they are preparing quietly for a referendum campaign that will cost a lot of money, will be a huge amount of attention, um, and uh, will drive uh, different narratives on this project and will be a real telling moment in the Atlanta electorate for where citizens stand on, on this issue. Okay, well then the next question is, what if the, uh, it is the protesters who win the referendum? What happens Patricia, do you imagine to the Atlanta Police Training Academy? So if the referendum makes it to the ballot and then yeah. the referendum is successful, I, yeah. I don't know, Bill. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, <laughs> I mean, that's I don't question. even want to speculate, to be honest with yeah. you. I It makes me uncomfortable to speculate on the outcomes of things that we're covering yeah. because there have already been so many unexpected events um, that have made this something that I think even we did not imagine where this would be. Um, a month ago, it seemed like this had been put to bed, and certainly that's not been the case. So um, I don't know. I do know that there are efforts to fig to um, find out who has paid for the signature collection effort, if there was a payment process of that. Are there national groups who are participating in this? Um, I think that it is, uh, I think Greg, though, is right. If it does go to a referendum, it will become a referendum on a whole lot more than just the police um, center, the training center. And it, it is already, it feels like, the defining moment of Andre Dickens' first term. Yeah, and we can also expect some legislative action, too, or at least some rumblings we're already hearing. Uh, the activists who are opposing this Atlanta police safe, public safety training complex um, are modeling their campaign off of a successful referendum campaign down in Camden County that blocked the use of public funds to build a spaceport there. Uh, that triggered an entire legal fight that wound up with a unanimous Supreme Court decision a few months ago that paved the way for more referendums um, to block, uh, for, for citizens to have the right to veto certain public projects. But in a concurring opinion to that Supreme Court ruling, two justices warned that, hey, this could be used not just for big public decisions, but for zoning 
regulations, for millage increases, for all sorts of more mundane government acts. And they basically begged the legislature to take action. We're now hearing that the Georgia Municipal Association wants more clarity over how this ruling affects cities because they feel like they're they're exempted from this ruling. Only counties were involved in this ruling. Either way, Tia, I think there's going to be a new battle in the Georgia legislature this coming year or years to come over how far these referendums can go because it could be used, the legislation could be seen as to block future referendums from happening on issues like public safety training complexes. Right. And I think I think we should be thinking about that. And perhaps there are models for referendums that could set parameters without making it so easy. And I just would point out that the, both the Camden referendum and this Atlanta Public Safety Training Center referendum those were pretty high barriers. It's just that both of these issues had a lot of community interest and they were able to kind of meet the barriers seemingly. Um, and so it's not necessarily that every issue will will have this type of community support to make a referendum even feasible. But again, ideally, the state would think about whether referendums are a good thing under any circumstances and what would be the right parameters to allow them to move forward. We should point out that states like Florida do have that for things like amending the Constitution. A lot of other states have it. So it's not unheard of for these kind of direct. We California uh, probably is most notable for its referendums. Yeah, it's def definitely something to watch. And I've already been inundated with, uh, in particular, Democrats who are concerned about this bill's uh, gaining some traction or this idea gaining some traction heading into next year. Well, still to come, Kevin McCarthy continues to struggle to win votes from his far-right members to pass a spending bill and avert a government shutdown. The deadline is nearing very fast. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. With all the news and all the chaos surrounding the Donald Trump indictment in Fulton County, it's going to be hard to keep up. So the AJC is putting all of our coverage into one place with our brand spanking new Trump indictment newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case delivered directly to your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. All one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Okay, Tia, let's go right to you on this next segment because there is a continuing logjam on the spending bill and it doesn't seem it doesn't seem likely that the deal will be struck over the next few days, but we'll find out soon. Yeah, I was, you know, been reading up what other journalists are writing, talking to members of our Georgia delegation. Um, I spent all day at the Capitol. I'm at the Capitol now recording this and been spending all day at the Capitol this week. And 
a lot of people want to know what's happening, what's going to be the way forward. Nobody knows. And part of the issue is House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has a very thin majority, which we've talked about. It's even thinner because a lot of members who maybe are more inclined to support McCarthy um, are absent. You know, things happen when you've got a legislative body of 435 people. There are any given time, there are a few people who are gone for different reasons. Um, and so there's about a half dozen rabble rousers that are like dead set against opposed dead set against supporting anything that it seems like having to do with Kevin McCarthy led by Florida representative Matt Gates. But that's kind of their issue seems to be almost tangential to like, how do we avoid a government shutdown? Like that's what if in the jolt on Wednesday morning, um, this morning's jolt, I have a quote from Representative McCormick, and he's like, I just want to know what they want. Everybody's so, they were so mad coming off of the floor Tuesday when these uh, five lawmakers blocked progress on a Pentagon bill that Republicans love. So it's not that they didn't support the bill, but they wanted to send a message to McCarthy. And so, so many Republicans were angry because they're like, you're stopping national defense funding but you can't tell us why and i'll i'll just wrap with saying that doesn't bode well for figuring out how to actually keep the funding of the government the government funded past september 30th there is no path forward um i heard some republicans saying well democrats need to come to the table and negotiate with us that's not how it works in the house the house is led by the majority Republicans are in the majority and Republicans can't figure out a bill that they can pass with their majority. That's why we're at a standstill. That's why most people believe there will be a government shutdown um, on October 1. Patricia, you've covered a number of these government shutdowns. <laughs> it, it always seems like, you know, and, and I've even heard many Republican, even some very conservative Republicans said this, it always seems like Republicans end up sort of the losers on this issue. Uh, who knows how this one will play out, but it's, a, it's, it's going to be tough, especially when Kevin McCarthy can't seem to wrangle his caucus together. Yeah. So there used to be on uh, on Capitol Hill something called the Hastert rule. And it was the assumption that the party in the majority would need to get a majority of the majority to vote for a bill in order to bring it to the floor. And then there would be the assumption that they would be able to make up the rest of the votes from the other side. Um, that obviously needs to be a bill that can garner support from across the aisle. But McCarthy's tenure so far has has needed um, the full support practically of the majority on major bills in order to get through um, with a majority that slim and particularly as Tia said with um, a number of Republicans out for various reasons for example Matt Crenshaw's wife is having a baby and he's not coming to DC for this he's not going to miss his baby for this um, uh, there is no path forward 
if there is the slightest bit of dissent within your caucus. And there is more than the slightest bit of dissent within McCarthy's caucus, but it doesn't feel like it's about this bill. It feels like it's about McCarthy. And um, anybody who is against McCarthy or feels like any part of this process is not going to work for them back home when it's time to run in a Republican primary is not going along with us. And um, there, it, the math isn't mathing. This is not going to work the way he's approaching this. And Democrats in the meantime, for once, feel like they're catching a break because while Joe Biden is at the UN General Assembly and while Joe Biden is um, going to be making a major announcement um, on guns coming up here pretty soon, he's expected to, um, it, he's just letting, they're letting the House spin out of control. And um, the Democrats don't need to get involved. They're saying, why, you know, why stop, why, why, why let the show end so soon? So they're not going to step in. They also feel like they made a spending agreement with House Republicans and Kevin McCarthy back when they did uh, the agreement to raise the debt ceiling. But it's very clear that McCarthy is not negotiating with the full support of his caucus when he makes these deals. So when it's time to live up to these deals, he can't do it. And Bill, you can kind of sense tensions. Well, you can hear tensions boiling over in Congress, in the U.S. House. Um, McCarthy has been frustrated. Uh, members of the moderate, the more moderate or mainstream Republican caucuses are, are frustrated. And again, they're not frustrated as much as Democrats. They're frustrated at fellow Republicans for not seeing this way through. Yeah, I've been uh, interested in watching uh, the morning news shows today, uh, seeing how many Republicans came forward to talk to reporters about how upset they are with the far right of their party uh, uh, not being willing to work on an agreement. But, you know, all of the attention right now, of course, is on whether the House can pass a deal, whether McCarthy can come up with enough concessions to the far right to uh, win their support and get the deal put in place. But then the problem becomes the Senate's not going to accept um, a, a bill that uh, includes uh, things like uh, uh, reduced or ending support for uh, Ukraine and some of the other measures that far-right Republicans are looking for. So it, even if the House f- manages to put together enough um, uh, concessions to win support, I assume this bill, uh, Tia, is likely to be dead on arrival in the Senate. Yeah, that's an, a point I was wanting to make, Bill, is that so the five Republicans who members got mad at on Tuesday stopped one of the 12 appropriations bills, this one on Pentagon funding, stop that bill from uh, stop from opening debate on one of 12 appropriations bills, which is separate than finding out a temporary plan to fund the government for maybe a month or so to allow these 12 bills to progress. And so there is a uh proposal on the table that was negotiated between the House Freedom Caucus, which is some of the most conservative members, and Main Street Republicans who are considered more moderate, more business friendly. And the goal was bringing these two factions of the Republican Party together, hopefully to come up with a temporary, you know, stopgap funding to avoid a shutdown. Well, the minute that thing came out on Sunday, 
Marjorie Taylor Greene was one of the first people to say, I'm not voting for it. Again, Matt Gates, I'm not voting for it. I talked to people like Andrew Clyde. He wasn't solid, but said he was leaning no. Um, and, and so immediately that plan, there were enough Republicans to say, I'm not supporting it, that this plan that was supposed to be the grand compromise didn't have the votes. Because again, Democrats are not going to support that. That plan calls for 8% cuts to all non-defense spending. We're talking about cuts to Social Security, Medicaid, um, education programs, all that stuff, 8% across the board. Plus, it was um, going to put in this border security legislation that, again, Democrats don't want. The Biden White House doesn't want. So it already wasn't a bill that was going to get Democrats support. It was unlikely to get support in the Senate, but it can't even pass in the House, even though it's a House Freedom Caucus bill, which brings us back to what we've been saying. There is no clear path forward. People don't think that McCarthy will even be in a position to accept a proposal negotiated with Democrats until not only until if there's a shutdown, but perhaps until the shutdown becomes painful after some weeks. Because remember, the minute McCarthy starts negotiating with Democrats to end a shutdown is the minute people like Matt Gates say they're going to bring a vote to the floor to remove him from office. And Tia, before we go to a break, remind us where Georgia's delegation sits on, on this. I can assume that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Andrew Clyde are some of the members who are raising the b- biggest objections, even though they didn't join that small group of five uh, House Republicans who blocked the latest spending bill. Yeah, I, I wrote an article that was published on Monday. And um, what I found so interesting when I talked to members of the delegation, and again, I've been talking to more, most members of the delegation, we're talking about Republicans for now, the nine Republicans. None of them say, I want a shutdown. But more than Marjorie Taylor Greene and Andrew Clyde have told me If a shutdown happens, it's not the end of the world. I was so surprised when Buddy Carter said that to me and he reiterated that to me um, on Tuesday. Again, so there are Republicans who are not the far right members like Green and Clyde who are start, not all, but there are more than Green and Clyde in our delegation who are saying, I want to reduce federal spending in ways that I know Democrats aren't going to go along with. And as a result, a government shutdown might happen. Um, Representative Austin Scott told me on Tuesday that he doesn't believe a government shutdown can be avoided without the border security measure uh, being attached to any stopgap funding. So, again, we're talking about something that is Chuck Schumer has already said is a non-starter. And Austin Scott told me he doesn't think the House will pass stopgap funding without the border security language. So again, we're talking about a shutdown. And Austin Scott told me if Democrats won't take border security legislation, there's going to be a shutdown. Here we go. Well, just ahead, we're also talking about the Georgia Republicans who say it's time for the U.S. to cut off aid to Ukraine. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song, 
and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We think the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. We were just talking about the government shutdown and one of the main dividing lines over that debate were Republicans who say it's time to cut off military aid to Ukraine as it fends off a Russian invasion. Uh, we know at least two of the members of the Georgia delegation are, are, are trumpeting that stance, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Andrew Clyde. Um, we've also got several, including Congressman Buddy Carter, who say it's time to give more aid or different sorts of aid to Ukraine. He's, he's talked about more lethal sorts of aid that you, the that U.S. can donate, can, can contribute to the Ukrainian war effort. Now comes a group of Republicans who are supporting more Ukrainian aid, who have launched an ad blitz in Georgia and other key markets around the nation, pressuring Republicans to join and support more federal aid to Ukraine. Let's listen to the ad that is playing now in Atlanta media markets. I'm a Republican. I'm a lifelong Republican. Ukraine is fighting a war that was imposed by Russia. I do not think the Republican Party is doing enough to Ukraine. I get very concerned when elements of the Republican Party are glorifying Putin. The Republican Party has always supported democracy abroad. I support sending more aid to Ukraine. Republicans have to support aid to Ukraine. It's a battle we have to help them fight and win. Go to GOPforUkraine.com to stand with your fellow Republicans and support Ukraine. Patricia, this is an ad featuring regular voters. Those weren't household names. Those are just voters all around the country who are saying um, to continue that support. We've seen in our AJC poll that came out a few weeks ago that Ukrainian aid remains a really, really big dividing line among Georgia Republican voters. Uh, some who are saying, hey, it's time to kind of turn off the spigot. Um, that's why this counteroffensive right now is so important. It's had limited gains uh, around the southern flank of, of Ukraine. But this is why, you know, the next few months could be so telling. Yeah. And I think that it's not an issue that divides just Republicans against each other. I think it actually divides Democrats against each other as well. Um, I was talking to some Democratic voters yesterday who kind of unprompted said, and I don't understand why we're spending so much money in Ukraine. Um, so I think it is an issue that when we, when the war started, when it was on CNN every day, we were seeing kind of um, uh, big, beautiful cities being destroyed by shells and uh, just really horrific images, children and families being um, killed and injured. Um, it was 
a lot easier for um, people who support Ukraine to make the case that uh, America needed to be in there in a big way financially. Um, it, as time has gone on, though, as interest has waned, but even as the war continues, um, it's not surprising that this is uh, it's falling off people's radars and they're starting to ask questions. Where is this going, particularly after the Iraq war? Um, how much longer is this going to go on? We were in Afghanistan for more than 15 years. We were in Iraq for years and years as well. Um, what's the plan here? I think Americans at the very least, not Americans, some Americans at the very least want to know the plan. On the flip side of that, when you talk about the Republican Party itself, um, they have traditionally been um, the, the uh, more hawkish party, obviously. Um, John McCain spent so much time in Ukraine and spent so much time um, working against Vladimir Putin and Russian forces and visiting that Eastern Front. There are streets in Ukraine named John McCain Road or John McCain Way, whatever is the translation of road or way. Um, so there, this was a long-held commitment of Republicans um, before it was ever on the radar of most Americans to be very engaged in there in order to keep Russia out of Western Europe. And um, that's why there were have always been debates about who should be in NATO, who should the United States be legally obligated to protect in case of a Russian incursion. Um, but this is a moment where you start to see Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene um, speaking up very vocally and saying, not only do I not support this, I'm not even voting for a budget that includes it. Um, and with somebody like Green with so much power with McCarthy. Um, and I think she does speak for a large group of base Republicans who feel this way as well. So once this gets tangled up into GOP base politics and primary politics, that's a political argument that's getting harder and harder for Republicans to make. Um, Biden seems extremely committed. Kevin McCarthy seems extremely committed. Um, but are they going to have support within their own caucuses? Um, it's looking a lot harder than it used to. Yeah. And Bill, uh, President Biden is really pitting this as a conversation about national security as much as mm -hmm. it is about helping an ally in Europe. Yeah. And we should point out that um, in, in his speech before the United Nations, his first speech to the U.N., uh, President Zelensky yesterday tried to uh, do the same thing, not just make it an issue of national security for the United States, but essentially saying this is an issue that will in the long run have an impact on all of your countries, pointing to the um, members of the General Assembly seated uh, in front of him, he said, mass destruction is gaining momentum. The aggressor is weaponizing many other things. And those things are used not only against our country, but against all of yours as well, fellow leaders. And in those cases, he was talking about energy, which uh, Russia has been able uh, to, which has been used uh, uh, in, as, as a, a way of cutting off uh, Russian supplies of, of energy to much of the Western world. But he's also talking about food um, with Russia blocking shipments of grain from Ukraine. But, but then if, if we could take a moment, I'd love to play the sound of Zelensky uh, trying to bring this back to a very human, uh, moving issue. And Patricia, I think it goes to what you said about early on when we saw the mass destruction 
of uh, beautiful, beautiful cities in Ukraine. Um, we were touched by that. What Zelensky did yesterday was to tell the UN about the thousands of Ukrainian children who he says have been kidnapped, taken to Russia, and are now being um, uh, uh, propagandized to hate Ukraine. Let's listen. We know the names of tens of thousands of children and have evidence on hundreds of thousands of others kidnapped by Russia in the occupied territories of Ukraine and later deported. And we are trying to get children back home. But time, time goes by. What will happen with them? What will happen to them? Those children in Russia are taught to hate Ukraine. And all ties with their families are broken. And this is clearly a genocide. When hatred is weaponized against one nation, it never stops there. I don't think it's a, it's a very powerful emotional uh, 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 argument. Uh, I, it's not going to change the minds, especially of uh, the Republicans who do not want to give more support to Ukraine. And I think, Greg, a lot of that is basically comes out of a Trumpian feeling, belief about um, the West not doing its part in supporting Ukraine the way America is. He said that in an interview on Meet the Press the other day. It's not true. Um, you, you know, Western European countries are doing their fair share and more, just as the United States is. Trump uh insists that they're not in the same way that he used to complain that uh, uh, Western European nations were not supporting the UN the way they needed to or supporting NATO rather the way they needed to. Um, And he uh, also, because we know that he has um, sympathetic feelings towards Vladimir Putin, uh, you can't help but wonder if some of the uh, Republicans who are opposed to continuing aid are um, in that camp where, like Trump, they just don't see Putin as uh, the enemy that many who support Ukraine do. Yeah, many of those Republicans would rather focus on China um, and the emerging global uh, rivalry with China rather than with Russia. Uh, and we know, you know, that China and Russia are also forming this tenuous but growing alliance right now that could that could continue to. Um, complicate U.S. foreign relations. Um, uh, but certainly with this is also seen as a moment for President Joe Biden, who also delivered a speech before the General Assembly, pitting this as a global security issue. And, and Patricia, he's been plagued by poor ratings and polls and head-to-head matchups with Donald Trump. He's either neck and neck, barely ahead, barely behind. It's a lot closer than many Democrats uh, want it to be for obvious reasons, and a lot, and and even some Republicans who know of all of the former president's vulnerabilities are surprised by how close this race can be. You spent some time talking to some of uh, President Biden's supporters here in Georgia about those low poll ratings. What did you, what did you find? 
Yeah, so these are people who um, the AJC had polled in September of 2020, who said that at the time they were planning to vote for Joe Biden. Um, And there have been so many headlines about Biden recently. Um, And David Ignatius of The Washington Post put out an op-ed at the end of last week saying that Joe Biden shouldn't run, um, that he is destroying Democrats' chances of retaining the White House. Um, There has been polling also that... uh, Three-fourths of Americans think that Biden is too old to run for president. Um, the Wall Street Journal had a huge piece about the, quote, Democratic freakout and talked about a number of high-profile Republicans saying, guys, we got to change course. This is this is not going to work. Um, so in my mind, I'm like, wow, this must be filtering down to those Joe Biden voters. <laughs> so I reached out to a number of them really just to check in with them to see, you know, we're three years into this administration. Um, How do you think it's going? And um, are you worried about Biden's age? And do you plan to vote for him again? And uh, unanimously, those Biden voters from um, 2020, they did end up voting for Biden. They did actually end up voting and they voted for Biden. And they all said, and some of these people are not Democrats, um, but they all said they'll be voting for Biden again. No question. They had no question that they would vote. Um, But a lot of it had to do with Donald Trump. Um, There were people in this group who Uh, thought that Biden had done a fantastic job. There were others who thought he did a great job but wasn't getting enough credit. Um, There were there was one guy who was like, he's okay." You know, somebody else said Biden has been a huge disappointment to him, has not delivered on the progressive promises he was expecting Biden um, to to even attempt in in his administration. Um, But no matter where they were on Joe Biden, they were unanimous against Donald Trump. And that was the reason that they all know that they're going to be voting for Joe Biden. And it doesn't matter if Joe Biden ages 20 years in the next one year. All they need him to do is have the shoulder strength to raise his hand to take the oath of office um, and not let Trump be the president. And so I was actually surprised by that. Um, The headlines tell you one thing and then when you talk to voters they will tell you something else patricia i thought the last graph of your column was just wonderful if you don't mind my reading your words to you the slogan it could be worse isn't exactly barack obama's hope and change but democratic strategists are banking on the fact that voters aren't expecting hope and change if they just don't want trump that could be enough again there's a slogan for you it could be worse (laughs) and that's pretty much all they need to do um for these voters there will be others who feel differently donald trump still has his supporters but um that was pretty much the message from these voters like hey it could be worse and we know we know what that looks like and i don't want that Patricia, I just keep going back to the fact that, you know, there's a small but really consequential block of voters in 2020, in 2021, and 2022 who sided with Democrats over Republicans, even if they used to vote Republican reliably. And what is changing about 2024 to lure them back? You know, after Donald Trump's indictments, after the 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 insurrection of January 6th, you name it, you know, those voters still showed they'd vote for Governor Kemp. They, they still showed they'd vote for other Republicans up and down the George ballot, but they had an aversion to voting for, for Trump and his most loyal 
uh, uh, supporters on the ballot in Georgia? And we'll, I guess we'll find out. But, but that's that to me is maybe the biggest question of the 2024 race. That's exactly right. And for the three years that Joe Biden has gotten older, Donald Trump has gotten the same three years older. He's 77. That's not a lot younger than 80. Um, although Biden does seem to not be aging as well as Donald Trump. I hate to say that. Um, so, But there are a lot more questions about Biden's age. That's just undeniable. Democratic strategists I talked to said, yes, we know. We hear it. But... And then the, the end of that but is Donald Trump. Um, what Republicans are hoping that that very small universe of Republicans who were Trump supporters who did not vote in 2021 in those runoffs, they hope that they'll come back and vote now. They want to have hopefully put enough confidence in the voting systems of Georgia that those voters who didn't trust it enough to come back and vote for Republicans in those Senate runoffs will at least come back and vote in this presidential election if it's Donald Trump on the ballot. Um, However, as Donald Trump continues to say the elections were stolen and Brian Kemp has done nothing to make it better, you know, that doesn't help with that group of Republicans who, who those strategists just know have got to come back to give themselves a chance. Well, coming up on Friday's episode, we're going to answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Let us hear from you. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. Go read Patricia's column right now. You can find links to all the other stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever big news breaks. And at the end of October, we'll be coming to you every day on WABE at 10 a.m. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.